Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pivot Podcast. Each week, join career coaches and Pivot Discovery co-founders, Alexandra Balistrieri and Kimberly Tilly, as they interview an extraordinary and inspiring guest who successfully pivoted away from unfulfilling work to pursue their dreams. Benefit from their insight and experience and leave with actionable tips to reframe your future. Welcome to this week's episode of the Pivot Podcast. My name is Kimberly Tilly, and I'm here with my co-host and Pivot Discovery co-founder, Alexandra Balistrieri. Today, we're so pleased to be joined by our guest, Reagan Rohde. Reagan is the owner and creator of Black Rose Writing, which, full disclosure, has published both of my books, The Poisoned Glass and Cold Heart. In addition to Black Rose Writing, Reagan is also the host of the Herded Through the Rose Vine podcast. Welcome, Reagan. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to chat a little bit about, you know, some of the things that led to the creation of Black Rose Writing. We're eager to find out. A lot of people are going to want to hear about how you created an indie press. But first, I want to talk about your journey because I understand it was an interesting one. Did you always want to be a publisher? No, I came from a small town and small school. So when I went to college, I didn't know what I what I wanted to be. There wasn't a lot of, you know, like, oh, I'm going to do this or that. I know some people go and they're kind of in one direction, but I, I really didn't know what, didn't really have much thought into what I, what I wanted to be. And so I played college golf and ended up at a Texas State University one year, ended up getting hurt and was unable to play. So I'd written creatively in high school and, and was working on my own book and just a little bit of stuff, but I'd never really thought about working, doing writing as a living or, or any type of editing. And so during the time being injured, it led me to work for the Texas State University school newspaper. And then also they had a creative magazine, which is really cool. It's called the Galaxy Magazine. And they released that, I think, biweekly and did creative stuff. And so I wrote for both of those and learned about interviewing people in sports writing and editing and, and then wrote a short story for the Galaxy magazine. And, and it was one of those moments that, you know, I think every time you have a adversity or a negative in your life, I've always tried to be, there's always a positive in there. Sometimes it's really hard to find it, but, but there is. And for me, it was if I would have played golf that semester, I never would have worked for the newspapers. I wouldn't have had time. And so I would have played a whole year. And who knows, you know, where it would have led. But because of the injury and disappointment of not being on the golf team for that period, it allowed me to do something else that I also enjoyed doing non-sports and led me down the journey of, hey, you know, editing and working for in the literary industry, whether it's newspapers or whatever, um, is something that I actually really enjoy. Were you always that philosophical about it? I mean, you must have been disappointed at first. Yes, definitely. But I'm one of those people that it usually takes me 24 to maybe 48 hours if it's something extreme to kind of wrap my head around something and, and give myself an opportunity to be sad or depressed or you know whatever term you want to use. But then usually once I've had my chance to wrap my head around it and, and start to game plan for what's going to be the alternative in a situation, then I usually usually pretty quick to go that direction and start seeing that sometimes, sometimes there's benefit. Definitely. Yeah. I, I mean, it's as simple as a recent one was I, I made a video for our authors, like an educational video. And it was probably about a 
maybe 10, 12 minute video and, and realized when I got to the end that the volume wasn't working. So obviously it's me talking with no volume for 12 minutes. And so, yeah, it's, it's, oh, fresh, no. it's frustrating <laughs> and you have to do it again. But it's one of those things that once you wrap your, wrap your head around it and you, and you commit to like, I've got to do it again, I've got to remake it then usually the second time it's, it's even better than the first time. So it turns yeah. into a positive because now you've practiced once when you didn't <laughs> practice. So you just have an unintentional dress rehearsal. I love yes. it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So. That's really a crazy switch from sports to writing. And when you became interested in writing and publishing, what were some of your initial steps to transition into this new, this new world? Right. So I did a lot of editing in, in college and working that route. And then I ended up doing construction and working with the with a friend of mine. And we started working for a, a guy who wanted to create his own company. And then later he created, basically, we three-way kind of co-owned uh, this construction company building houses from like the beginning to the end. And so I did that for a while. And while I did that, I wrote a couple of novels and, and published my first book with publishers that are no longer in business, but went that route. And so I was still, you know, I was still doing the writing and, and doing it from my creative aspect, but still no aspiration or thought of one day I'm going to own a publishing house, really. And then just through transitions, my wife, Min, and I uh, moved in together. She was she had one more year at school to finish her degree, and I ended up moving to be with her. And so that opened up an opportunity where I didn't have any job lined up or anything at that time. And that's where I started writing a lot more and just kind of researching. And, and basically, when I started Black Rose Writing, I wasn't sure if I wanted to use it as a platform to help authors with editing or to help authors get published or to actually publish a book. And I jumped in, took in everything I could, read, learned, you know, tried to just figure all these things out. And then once I got it shaped and realized, okay, I don't, I don't want to be an agent. I don't want to do this. I think I really want to create a book for someone else from the beginning to the end. That's where I basically molded the website and shaped everything in that direction and then did it again, work construction, doing remodel and stuff for a different company in, in the San Antonio area. And we started Black Rose Writing and started doing it very part-time. I think the first year, maybe I did three to six, I'm not sure, maybe three people's books in the first year created and actually published. You mentioned that while you were doing construction, you were writing several books. I was just curious what kind of books you were writing. I was working on and I eventually finished my, I have a fiction baseball novel, which is inspired by my, my brother and father and grandfather all played different levels of professional baseball. Oh, I was, wow. My brother played eight years. So I would say my freshman year, maybe if college sophomore year would have been freshman year would have been like his last year. So somewhere around between like 11 and 19 is when he played a double A baseball. And so I got kind of a different range of perspective from being a kid in a dugout to being actually old enough to play on the team age and getting to hang out with players and, and be around that atmosphere. And so that inspired my baseball novel, Dreams in Baseball. And then I wrote a, a dark fantasy series that is still ongoing, but I haven't written very much lately, but it's called the, Mis the Misanthropy series. And then I wrote a suspense romance story called Black. It's about a, about a writer as well. So I plugged away at those and then decided that I really wanted to publish. Through my experiences, I thought I could create a, a publishing house, an environment 
that just would be more family atmosphere and, and really try to be direct and transparent and really work much harder on creating a personal feel with our authors. Let me ask you a little bit more about Black Rose writing. If we're talking about the early days, what made you decide to found an indie press? I mean, that's a pretty unusual aspiration. It was just simply that I really enjoyed when I was creating the first books and doing it all from beginning and end, not having anyone else, just myself. And then, of course, my wife was there as an important advisor to help me bounce bounce ideas or talk. But yeah, I enjoyed the process and I, I did it for probably, I think it was two and a half years or so, where it was just part-time. It didn't pay the bills. Did I worked construction. And so doing it, I think on that scale, I've told, told everyone who's asked this question before, it wasn't that I was some kind of mad genius at the time. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like I've said, okay, I'm going to do this for three years because after three years, I'll have the data and I'll be able to make mistakes and they'll be minimal and I'll be able to learn all this stuff and then, and then I can do it full time. It wasn't, I didn't plan it that way, but when it, when it came time to, in 2009, I, I, thought, man, I really want to do this every day. I don't want to drive anywhere. I want to, I'm, I'm a self-motivated person. I want to be home and just do this. And it was like, I could look at all the mistakes I made and I could look at the, okay, this is how much I can do. This is how many books I can do. If, if these projections hold for the highs and lows and sales for each book, this is what I think I can make to start. And of course I was paying myself only. So there wasn't any other, you know, it's like, <laughs> okay, if this is enough, then it's enough. And so we went on full-time, increased the workload. I don't even remember how much it was. Maybe I, I think I did probably eight books a month to start. Wow. Um, just doing That's like two a week by myself. And I could definitely not do the quality we're doing now. Back then it was a little- By yourself. <laughs> a, a little, my cover design is not as good as, as Dave King's and the rest of our design team. <laughs> Um, I've, I've tried to make sure all of mine are off the internet. Like I try to get them all pulled down. No, I'm just oh, kidding. Come on, I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we went in, went in full time. And I think I compare it to if you open a really fine dining restaurant and you have a really great location with maybe a high rent and a lot of, you know, you've invested a lot in your decor and overhead and all this stuff. No one comes and eats at that restaurant for several months or even maybe a couple months. I mean, it's doomed to fail because by that time, you can't overcome maybe the loss or you're not able to overcome any errors or blunders because of the cost. And so with, with doing it part-time, I was able to make an error and, oh, I've got to resubmit a file and it's $35 or $60 or these little dings here and there, but doing it one or two books and learning it was nowhere near as well as if it was full time and you made tons of mistakes and they just rack up. I think that really helped because I was able to see the mistakes and know when, you know, when I started at full time, there was less costly errors. And then also I was able to crunch the data of you know, all the two and a half years. Basically, I didn't have to guess at like how much workload I could do. Or I didn't have to guess anything because I could, I could already calculate it. I I'd like to know how you came up with the name Black Rose Writing. Yeah, so in my misanthropy series, one of the most symbolic items in the book and you know something that was going to be symbolic the whole way through was a black rose. Um, oh. So j just just a part of a fictional story that I was writing. I was going to have my sister is a really good artist, and she did 
a sketch. She was going to do basically a sketch for every chapter, and then we kind of watched that idea. But she did do the sketch of a black rose. I think just a black marker, like a sketch of a black rose. And I liked it so much, just the sketch, and had that image that I just really liked the word black rose writing. And at the time, I wasn't sure exactly that we were going to be a publishing house, or I might have called it Black Rose Press or something else along those lines. But the way the sound of Black Rose writing kind of rolled off the tongue and everything, and then having that logo already, that's where it came from. We've, we've adjusted the logo now, but that was the original logo. What was the biggest surprise to you when you opened your own company? Not so much out of the gate, but I think the biggest surprise was I felt comfortable in the ability that I could make a publishing house and be successful, but I felt that way with just myself. I didn't really foresee having people that I've, that I've known in my lives and, and that were friends or, and now are staff. I didn't really foresee having so much staff and people that I'm that Black Rose Writing is responsible for taking care of and their family. I think that's a really cool thing when you start a company. Yeah. Um, you know, because you, you can see it for like, okay, I can do this. But then later you start thinking, man, I'm these people and their families are depending on me and Black Rose Writing to live their life comfortably. That could be um, kind of daunting or kind yes, of. Yes, yes. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, so, and, and, you know, and it's like, if you care about those people, then it, it should be hopefully motivational <laughs> as well. Um, but, but yeah, I think that was the biggest surprise and, and kind of makes me still smile is, is that every time I've added somebody, the last major full-time person we added was Christopher Miller and our PR team. But every time I've added somebody, we see there's more expense involved, but we've been able to continue to make money and grow each year. So that's been good. That's wonderful. So now that we are up to the present, can you tell us a little bit more about the work that you are doing at this current moment? We've narrowed down what books we're publishing in terms of what what we look for more often than others in terms of genre, but we still don't want to ever just limit like, okay, we're, we only publish mystery, suspense, romance, thriller, like, or we only publish the nonfiction or whatever. That's interesting um, that you brought that up because I noticed that your website says we publish only one genre, our genre. How do you decide what books to publish? If it's something that's kind of borderline that we're like something that maybe I, I don't feel like I'm an expert on marketing wise or our team doesn't have a lot of experience with, those would have to really, really stand out. But I don't want to just slam the door on great writing. It's mm-hmm. kind of kind it's kind of like jazz music. No one ever really says that jazz music is bad. It's just, it's not really ever going to be on the top of the pop list. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, it's like, you know, like, do you like jazz? It's like, yes, you know, I, I don't mind jazz, but it's not going to be my go-to on my playlist. But I understand, I respect the talent and respect the quality of the music that's being created. And I think the same thing applies some of the genres aren't necessarily our favorite and they might be very niche and, and not as easy to market and automatically have a lot of people buy the book or a lot of people download the book on a promotion or whatever. But if it's really, really good, then we still want to give it a shot. I mean, we feel like those authors deserve a chance and we're going to try to reach in that group of readers because there's an audience there. It's just 
little harder to find them sometimes. And so that sums it up. We, we really don't have a set genre. There are things that we look for more than others, but we want to publish deserving authors. And, and when you see something that kind of gives you a wow factor, no matter what it is, then that's something we, we usually take on. I think that's wonderful. You know, if you have a hunch that something sounds really interesting and you really like the author's work to just go for it, even though it doesn't necessarily fit into a box. Your bio describes you as an Amazon ad ninja. Could you tell us a little bit more about that and what that means? It means that my eyeballs have burned many (laughs) times from doing and optimizing keywords on Amazon ads uh, to the point that I have to qualify as an Amazon ad ninja. I've, <laughs> I still feel like I've got room to grow s- substantially on Facebook and BookBub ads. I, mean, I feel like I'm in an intermediate to advanced stage, but still really, I think we can take our authors and some of our ads on those platforms to the expert level. But the Amazon ads is just something I feel very comfortable with. They're not saying that every book works for them or that we've mastered it on every book. I feel like it's more so much the audience and the feedback you get for the book and not so much that we're creating an ad that's, we're giving the ad the best chance to be successful in my opinion. And so if it doesn't work, obviously that's, that's marketing. If all marketing worked, it'd be really easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you knew what's going to appeal to what people, then that would be really easy. I love doing the Amazon ads and, and optimizing them. And that's something that we'll continue to grow on as well. Megan, could you give us an example of something that would be optimizing an Amazon ad? Depends on the the ad type, but say we have a keyword targeting ad and that's, I'll give you an example. We have, so a product targeting ad right now running for the poison glass. And I think y'all know who wrote that. Um, (laughs) My favorite author. (laughs) Yes. So on the product targeting, it's going to, it's going to target United States immigrant nonfiction and true crime and bio memoir might be one, but there's a lot, there's a few nonfiction categories that you can pick through and determine which ones you think, well, maybe a reader who is looking in this category would enjoy this book. Okay. I see. And so those are ads. And then obviously we have a bid. It's the bid that we're willing to pay up to that amount if somebody clicks on our ad. And so the higher the bid, the more impressions you're going to get. And then if people are clicking on it, then obviously you can, you might be paying more for your clicks. And when we optimize it, we usually try to do that no longer than a week on a lot of our ads. It just depends on how aggressive some of them are. Some of them can be a little less. Basically go in and you're checking all of those keywords. So for a product targeting, sometimes you might just have 10 keywords to check, but for keyword targeting, you might have 500. And if you're checking all of them, there's certain criteria we look for, like the amount of impression. Say a keyword you're using in the product targeting under U.S. immigrant history for Kimberly. Say you're getting just these tons of impressions and tons of clicks, but nobody's buying the book. And so then it's kind of you have to look at it and say, okay, this maybe is the wrong target here. I mean, it's costing us a lot of money. And so we either want to pause that or just turn it down a lot in that way. It's not running as much and maybe we start paying a little less. That way we're still getting impressions and people are still seeing it, but we don't want to pay 60 cents for them to click on it. We want to pay like 30 cents or less. But if a keyword is doing well and the A cost is what Amazon calls it, that's the average cost of sale and it's it's a percentage. Basically, if you spend $100 and you've sold $100, then your A cost is 100%. And so the lower your A cost is, the better 
And there's a lot of factors in there. It depends on whether you you have an author with one book, you want to have a lower A cost or, or really low versus maybe you're promoting book one of a series of seven books from an author, then your A cost can be much more aggressive because you're looking at read through. So if you might lose money hypothetically on one day of selling a first copy, but later on, if that reader really likes it and they end up reading all the books, then you're going to make money on the back end, which, which we call read through. Yeah. So the optimizing is just going in and there's really not magic formulas. Different people have different kind of criteria. And we have a little bit of criteria on how many, you know, once a, once a keyword gets so many impressions, I mean, it's not getting any action. Keywords are getting clicked and they're not getting purchased. There's, we just keep making adjustments and, and, you know, keep, keep going from there and and trying to find new keywords that, that work. It sounds like you spend a lot of time working on marketing and promotion for your authors, would you say that's one of your favorite parts of your job? Or if not, what is? Yeah, it's getting to be one of my favorite parts. And the reason is because we now staff wise, and and we now have teams set up to do a lot of the other stuff that I used to do. As I'm able to continue to share workload and, and delegate, and that's allowing me a little more free time to where it's not like, okay, as soon as I turn my computer on, I'm checking emails and I'm doing what I would call busy work and, and your standard, you know, what do I need to do today? And that's not taking up six to 10 hour a day. It's not killing that whole day. And so being able to work a little less on that and still be fresh, that really helps with the marketing because marketing can be, especially if you're doing some creative writing or trying to create a new ad and doing some design in there. That stuff you really want to be fresh for and not something that you want to be like end of the day where you're tired, you've done all this other stuff. It helps you be able to to do a little bit of more and it enjoy, you know, I like to be able to read or listen to other podcasts and in the industry and things like that. And so that you can't really do if you've got a full workload of other stuff that needs to be done. That's kind of the bonus. And I've been able to do a little bit more of that. I think that's a good thing. Reagan, what do you anticipate the future holds for you and for Black Rose Writing? Our focus for the last year, and maybe a little longer than that, we've been on the books published in a year from like 2009. And, and then once, once I added, David King came on in like 2013. And when he came on, you know, from that point, all the way to 2019, 2018, we increased our workload every year. We published more books in a in a year each year and, and kept growing. So there were other goals in there. What do we want to do this year? You know, kind of a focus for each year, but the growth was there. And then we, we even tried to test a little bit more growth and realized, okay, I'm Dave and I were both, even with, with other help, we were both dragging. Like, okay, this is too much. Unless, you know, unless we brought more people on, this was going to be too much. I just, there's no time for me to do anything else. And the same with Dave, you know, we were uploading too many books in a week. So we pulled back down from, from five is what we tried a few times and tested. And we pulled back down to four releases in a week. And that's kind of the sweet spot where we're at until we added, if we added staff, probably a full-time staff until that period. And that's not anything we want to do or plan. You know, our, our plan in 2019 really switched and then to this year to focus on, okay, quantity versus quality or whatever you want to use. Instead of making more money or trying to grow for all of our authors by publishing more authors and more books, how about we cut it off here and let's do the same or less 
and let's sell more copies of each book published. That's where the focus has been. Last year, we shattered our marketing budget. And this year, I think we've spent way more than last year. And obviously, we've still got two plus months to go. That's something we're excited about and something that we're going to be excited about again. As we talked about the Amazon ads, we feel really good with starting in 2021. We can do better even on the BookBub and Facebook ads and just create more, have more authors that have more titles with us and continue to grow with us and be able to create authors that are getting a pretty steady and and good royalty each period and, and continue to publish more books and have a home for their books just more marketing that's that's the future that we we want is more you know more marketing that obviously results in more book sales and royalties for our authors do you know about how many authors you have yes the number would be under contract right now would be it's somewhere around 475 oh wow that's like a lot more than i thought yeah yeah because i mean we have a lot of authors a lot of that list I don't, I mean, that would be a, that would be a good number to look at, but almost half that list or maybe 40% of that list are repeat authors. I mean, authors that have published multiple titles with Black Rose writing. I don't know what the percentage is, but the amount of authors that are disappointed if we don't renew their contract or, (laughs) or want to publish more books with Black Rose is really, really high. And so I, I always take that personally, you know, if someone speaks negative of Black Rose writing that's really never worked with us online, that doesn't concern me at all. If Kimberly and all of the authors that have published with Black Rose writing were immediately like, no, no, I published one and I'm good. Thank you. I'm going somewhere else. Um, oh. That would that would be a concern. And and that's not the case. And so I'm like, the saying is we worry about our own. And that's, you know, as long as our author feedback is good and we're doing the best we can for authors, then I'm, I don't, I'm not worried about people that haven't published their book with us. I really like having an indie publisher. It feels a lot more personalized and I like the way that it's done. It's having the personal relationship with you and and with your team means a lot. It makes a big difference. Going back to the marketing that you were talking about, um, I feel like every industry kind of has like highs and lows for certain things. Is there like a certain point where you feel you really have to amp up the marketing? Like, is it maybe end of year for holiday sales or is it the beginning of the year? You know, we we do sell a little bit more books usually in October, November, December. Interesting. So there is something about the holiday spending, people buying gifts, uh, whatever the end of year, um, but we do tend to sell a little more. And then usually January, sometimes January, February tends to to switch and, and be a little slow. I don't know if a company like one of the big five, like Random House would notice because they have so many best-selling authors and big names that I don't know if they would notice, but obviously for us, the, the smaller press that has less authors and less books that sell big, big numbers, it's hard to say there's a certain period because one book can offset that. If one author has a really monster month. Mm-hmm. Um, then it's like, okay, you know, January was a great month. It wasn't that everyone sold more books or that the sales, you know, were evenly across the board. Everyone was buying more books. It's just that one author had a really, really great month and it, you know, skewed the numbers. Um, so yeah, that's the case a lot of times. And so we don't really do anything different or prepare. Okay. It's, you know, this month is coming or this is coming and we need to adjust our marketing. We're, we're pretty much have the same plan all 12 months. Got it. So Reagan. How can people reach you? 
Well, the website has all the vital information at blackrosewriting.com. Um, that's got the, if you're an author wanting to submit to Black Rose Writing, it's got a link for the submission guidelines that you can submit directly there. And then if you're trying to reach out to order books or reach out to our PR team, the emails are all on the contact page there. And then you can also follow us on, on social media, uh, Facebook, Black Rose Writing. Twitter is BRW Publisher. And then I know we have LinkedIn, Pinterest, Instagram, all you can search for Black Rose Writing. Awesome. And we'll make sure that we have all of your information linked in our show notes so people can find you. Reagan, before we let you go, could you give us one tip that you would offer to someone who's in a situation that's kind of similar to yours or they're just starting out with their own endeavor? Yeah, I think it would be I think it would be just to evaluate your goals and be honest with yourself. I have friends who have made comments similar when I first started Black Rose Writing and it's like, well, I know that person and I know that person wouldn't do well because they're not self-motivated. Like are you the you just have to tell you like am I able to make myself work? Um, am I willing to make myself work and, and do stuff without somebody telling me or without someone providing me a paycheck? You have to be comfortable with knowing knowing and not knowing where the money is coming in, where obviously you have a an eight to five job and you know there's a paycheck coming and you, you kind of have the amount figured out and people are telling you what to do and, and lining it up and you have people pushing you, I guess, a little bit and helping you. So I, th- I think just the main thing is you have to look in the mirror and, and if you've, you're the type of person that... Um, that knows you're self-motivated, know that you're, you know, you can work those extra hours. I mean, that's that's one of the great things is I don't, I don't even know anymore how many hours I work a week. I don't, you know, I work seven days a week most of the time, but it's it's in sporadic shifts, and I work while my family's sleeping, which is one of my favorite things. I get up at 4:30 and work, and then I go wake them up at 7:30 on the weekend, and I've got three hours in, and we're we're good to go. You wake up uh, at 4:30 and start working. Yeah, four thirty Saturday and Sunday mornings is the best time to work. I'm not a big. I go to bed early and I wake up and I'm ready. Like I need seven hours and and we're good to go. Go from there. Four thirty to get up. Where I mean, like there are motivated people, but that's just like a different level. I'm a morning person. Like I'm fresh. I feel good. I'm about four thirty p.m. It stops. You know, once it gets. <laughs> uh, right now is a special night. I actually feel good. I I I kind of kept myself moving a little bit so I could make sure I wasn't sleepy by the time that we started the podcast. Because <laughs> oh, it's uh, late for you there, huh? Uh, it's yeah, seven thirty my time. So not late for most people, but for me, this is I'm already like, are the kids ready to go to sleep? Because I'm ready to go read in bed. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's just. I don't know something about we work a lot with staff and we're all on the headset and and we still we get it's not that we don't get work done but something about when everyone's sleeping or there's just zero distractions there's nobody interrupting you calling your phone anything like that so that's that's kind of my time I feel like I I can get a couple hours in and back to the question is the matter of if you're self motivated and and you're not scared to know that be some risk and some periods where you're not 100% sure where the money's coming or, or how much, <laughs> yeah. Um, then, then yeah, if you're in that position, then, then I, I say, yeah, you should definitely go for it. 
Reagan, we want to thank you so much for being on the show tonight. We really enjoyed talking to you. It was wonderful having you. Thanks again, Reagan. Thank you for having me. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And that's a wrap for season one of the Pivot Podcast. We wanted to let you know it will be silent on our end for a while, but don't worry. We will just be taking a short break to gear up for season two. Thank you again for tuning in each week. We really appreciate your support and look forward to bringing you some fresh episodes soon. So until then, stay safe and healthy. Bye, guys.